Welcome, my friends, to the Bob and Brad podcast. My name is Mike Keenitz, and I'm a PT assistant. Today, I am interviewing Rick Olderman, who is a physical therapist, on different back pain questions that our audience had for him. We are going to talk about things like sciatica, stenosis, disc herniations, and many more. So, without further ado, here is Rick. Well, welcome back to the program, Rick. Thanks for having me, Mike. Today, we're going to be talking about different back pain questions, lots of different topics. So the first question is about sciatica. So our listeners said sciatica, they are experiencing it for the first time, but there are thousands of people on pain forums suffering. What can we do? Oh, gosh, this is such a good one. In fact, I just had a uh, telehealth visit from somebody uh, who had sciatica. And um, okay, so... uh, there's, there's two patterns of issues that typically are affecting sciatica. All right. One is the most common type of back pain pattern is that uh, the back is too arched or there's too many forces trying to pull it into an arch. So one of the clues, if you have sciatica, I, I think one of the clues is if you can lie with your legs straight and that makes your sciatic symptoms worse, or if standing makes your sciatic symptoms worse, then you probably have uh, this arching phenomenon going on where your back is either too arched or you have too many forces trying to pull it into an arch. So what are those forces? Where are they coming from? Well, they're typically coming from the legs. So one of the big ones is thigh muscle tightness. And so the thigh muscles here attached to the front of the pelvis. This is is the front, all right? And uh, when the thigh muscles become tight, they tend to pull that pelvis forward which creates this arch in your back and causes uh, that excessive arching phenomenon that I was just describing as a contributor to your sciatic pain. And also, you know, if you have one thigh muscle that's tighter than the other, then you've got not only that arching, but you've got this rotational torque that's occurring through the pelvis and spine too, in response to that. So this is a, a main, a main issue and stretching the thigh muscles can do a lot to solve sciatic pain, especially if it's unilateral sciatic pain. Uh, Another habit that's contributing to this arching phenomenon is if you lock your knees when you're standing and walking, you can try this just standing up right now. Just go ahead and stand up and lock your knees back and you'll find that uh, your back is more arched. And if you're not sure about that, unlock your knees for just a second and feel what just happened to your back. And then re-arch them and you'll feel that, the, oh yeah, the back is definitely more arched when my knees are locked. Well, <clears throat> when your knees are locked, it's tilting the pelvis forward, which is then causing that back to arch more again. And then the other thing that's happening when, when your knees are locked is that it's turning off key muscles in the pelvis that control the thigh bone uh, tracking. And uh, this can also cause sciatic pain. So I'm, I'm kind of giving you a this is, so when you look at the body from a system standpoint, it's usually not just one thing. It's several things that are causing problems. And so uh, if you know that arching of your back increases your, your sciatic pain, then locking the knees, tight thighs, uh, hip muscles that are likely turned off because you're locking the knees are all contributors. So that's one pattern of issues that's contributing to sciatic pain. The other pattern is that, uh, especially if it's unilateral or unilateral SI joint pain or unilateral back pain, is usually that one side of the pelvis is higher and that usually that same side of the rib cage is lower. So what I call this a side bending problem. And you can imagine that if this is occurring in you, we're compressing the nerve roots from where the sciatic nerve is emanating from. 
All right. So uh, this is this is occurring and it's causing this compression. So the, the real reason, though, is why is this occurring? Well, typically it's it's an old, due to an old injury in the same side of that uh, leg where the sciatic pain is. And so what happens is your brain responds to that pain. It's like stepping on a tack all the time. There's some problem here and the brain saying, you know what, I got to get off this problem. And so what it does is over time, it gradually lifts that pelvis higher and higher to get off of that problem area. Well, then the same muscles that are lifting the pelvis are the ones that are attaching to the rib cage that pull the rib cage down. So now you've got this side bending problem occurring that's causing a new problem, which is sciatic pain because of compression of the nerve roots exiting here. And, and frankly, this also causes SI joint pain and, and so forth. So ultimately, you'll have to solve whatever is occurring in this leg that's causing this side bending problem. All right. So this is what was really interesting with um, <clears throat> the telehealth patient I just had a, a couple of days ago is that he had right sciatic pain right here. And so as a consequence, he kept standing more on this left side. All right. To get off of that sciatic pain. Well, that makes sense because we don't want to stand on something that's painful. But I want I want to take you guys through this little experiment to show you the consequence of that. So let's say we all have right sciatic pain and put your hands on your waist muscles right here, just above your pelvis, right in the waist area. OK, so what we're going to do is we're going to keep our hands right here. And what I'm going to ask you to do now is we're going to pretend like we have right sciatic pain. So we're going to get off of that by shifting to the left leg. And when you shift to the left leg, you'll notice that your right waist muscles now have contracted more. All right. These are the same mu waist muscles that are pulling that pelvis higher and pulling the rib cage lower. So if we stay on this left leg all the time and what this gentleman was doing is every time he walked, he would stay here on the left leg and do this and then get back over to that left leg. So these waist muscles were always contracting. And so he was contributing to the pattern that was causing his sciatic pain because he spent all of his time over on the other leg to get off of that sciatic issue, which caused that pelvis to lift more and the rib cage to drop more. So when I asked him to get over on his right side, what he ended up doing was I said, okay, now stand on your right side and, and uh, you know, put your weight over there. And what happened is he dropped his shoulder and his hip went out like this because he didn't have the control of that right side everything was collapsing. And this is why when he steps on his right leg with everything collapsing, he feels that right sciatic pain. And then when he steps on his left side, the pattern stays because it's now locked in. And then he goes back to his right like this and I'm dramatizing. It wasn't quite like that, but that's generally how it works with this stuff. And this also happens while sitting too. So if we continue with our hands on our waist uh, idea, if we shift our weight over to that left side and we feel that that right waist muscles have, have now been contracted. You'll, if you look in the mirror, you'll see that your pelvis has also come up higher too on the right side, all right? And then if we do this long enough, it just locks in like this. Now, if we shift our weight over to our right side, you'll feel that relatively those waist muscles will relax again, right? And that you're, now your left waist muscles are contracting. So what we need to do is learn to stand on the sciatic pain side with lengthening of the trunk instead of collapsing on that side. So we're gonna have this lengthening instead. And what that's gonna do is gonna teach your hip muscles and leg muscles what to do to control this side, 
when we collapse on that right side, it's because of a lack of control for some reason here, or we're compensating for some painful injury or something. And so it's this collapse that's causing the compression and the sciatic pain. So learning to walk tall on that right side is one of, was one of his exercises I gave him, is to be tall, even putting his right hand up in the air and hand on the head. When you walk on that side, it keeps the ribcage from falling down. It forces the side to be lengthened and therefore gives more space to the sciatic nerve roots. And therefore, it's forcing the hip muscles to work the way they, they, they should. So what often happens is, okay, now we've solved that problem. And what someone will say is, oh, but that makes my knee hurt or that makes my foot hurt or that makes my hip hurt. Well, now we're on to the true source of the sciatic issue. Because if walking correctly is causing a pain to occur in your leg somewhere, then that is the pain that's causing that whole side bending problem in the first place. And you have to solve that. And that's what I mean by when one side of the pelvis is higher and the ribcage is lower, it's ultimately due to some problem in that same leg that you have to solve in some way. So that was a long answer to a short question. <laughs> it's a good, thorough, in-depth answer. Uh, before yeah. we get too far, where can someone find more information about your back pain solutions? Yeah. So, uh, well, I, I, I've written a, a back pain book on, it's for sale on Amazon, but I wrote that about 10 or 15 years ago. And that has all of this description in here and explains all of this stuff. But I've recently created home programs to help people solve their pain. It won't go into that in-depth uh, description of what's going on here, but it will have everything that you need to solve those patterns of issues that are causing your sciatic pain. And this is the unique thing about my for instance, my back pain program is most back pain programs are focused on the tissues in the back. Well, those tissues are just responding to larger problems in your system. And so my programs are solving those larger problems. And uh, you'll be might be surprised to find that there's almost no nothing about massaging your back in there. That's because that doesn't solve anything. That's why you have chronic pain is because you haven't addressed this as a systems solution. Right. I've done a 10 hour CEU course on back pain a long time ago, and it didn't mention any of those things. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, me too. And this is, you know, and by the way, I've created for any of you uh, practitioners out there, I've created a CEU course for physical therapists and PDA, PTAs uh, to understand this kind of stuff from a system solution. And in most states, uh, it offers 30 CEU credits, which is is pretty extraordinary. Yeah, that's a lot. All right. So we're going to get into the next questions about stenosis. So what are the best exercises for spinal stenosis for a 75-year-old who cannot get on the floor? And how often should you do them? Okay. So this, uh, this is a really good question because, well, I often get questions about specific diagnoses like stenosis. Okay. But then what about spondylolisthesis? Okay, but then what about spondylolysis? Okay, but what about a herniated disc? All right, but what about a bulging disc? And so I get all of these kinds of questions about, and what we're trained to think of our, our injuries and our diagnoses as, the stenosis is a separate and different injury than a spondylolisthesis or a bulging disc or a herniated disc. But in reality, they're all due to usually the same pattern of dysfunction. All right. So let me show you what I mean by this. All right. So uh, if we go back to uh, this idea 
of patterns of dysfunction occurring in the body that's contributing to pain. If you have spinal stenosis, which means that the, the canal through which your uh, spinal column or spinal cord is traveling, if that the bone starts to encroach on that spinal cord. All right. And so uh, what you'll find is that anytime you are more extended or tall, your pain increases. And that's why you see a lot of people with spinal stenosis walking around like this bent over because there's the more that they come up tall, the more extension their spine is going through. And therefore it impinges that uh, spinal cord more from those, that bony change. And then, uh, but if, if spinal lesthesis, which is a, a minor fracture in the, in the uh, 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 spine bone here also has the same pattern arching increases pain because what it's doing is that force is driving the vertebra to go, move forward and therefore impinging tissues. And so these people also might be bending forward or both, both of these categories of, of diagnoses find relief when their knees are bent or their knees are hugged to their chest. That feels wonderful for these people. Well, frankly, it's the same that goes for a herniated disc or a bulging disc or a multitude of other names of diagnoses right? They all fall into the same pattern of dysfunction because the general pattern is the more I arch, the more my back hurts, regardless of the structural reason for that, whether you have stenosis, spinal, spinal lesthesis, uh, uh, herniated disc, bulging disc, it doesn't really matter what that structural issue is. It's the pattern that's causing that structural issue to hurt that matters. Okay. So, for those people with spinal st stenosis, if I say, well, it just starts standing up taller, you're going to say, no, that really hurts me, right? And so uh, what we have to do is remove the forces that are causing this stuff to hurt if you do stand up taller. So what are, what are one of those forces? Well, if we stand up taller like this, what has to happen is that the pelvis should come back with the spine. All right. If the pelvis remains forward like this and you try and stand up taller, then you're going to only accentuate the problem. OK, the pain. And so what we have to make sure is that when you stand up taller, that the whole pelvis can stand up taller, too. All right. Well, what would prevent the pelvis from being able to come up tall? Uh, well, it would be these thigh muscles in the front of the legs. First of all, they attach. They start at the knees and they attach into the fronts of the thigh bone here and it's, it's very often that they, these muscles become tight, especially if we're sitting a lot. And if you have spinal stenosis, spinal thesis, all these other types of stuff, and your pain is relieved when you're sitting, well, then if the more that you sit, the shorter these muscles become, right? And then when you stand up, they stay short, and then they pull that pelvis forward, causing the back to arch and causes your pain. So stretching out these thigh muscles is a big deal for people with spinal lithesis, spinal stenosis, things like that. Uh, and then also uh, I go back to my, my old, the, the old big problem for a lot of people is when we lock our knees, when we stand and walk that inherently, even without this tightness, that will tilt the pelvis forward, causing more arch in the back. So there's an easy one. Just stop locking your knees when you're standing and walking, which will re reduce the force of the pelvis rotating forward and reduce the extension forces that are acting through the spine. So there's an easy one. Another easy one is to, I have a, a thigh stretch in my home program where you start with both legs up to your, up at your chest, you hold on to one of them and then you drop one leg down over the edge of a table or a kitchen countertop 
or you know your bed or something like that. And what that's going to do is it's going to stretch the thigh muscles while protecting the spine. Most thigh stretches uh, don't protect the spine and the pelvis when you're stretching the thigh. It allows the spine to arch more, which then you get out of that thigh stretch and it hurts. Well, the, the thigh stretch that I recommend doesn't do that. It controls everything. So you, you're actually truly stretching the thigh muscles. And most people feel wonderful after uh, stretching those thigh muscles if they have any of these conditions and, and arching is hurting. So that would be my big recommendation. If you can't get down on the floor, well, you don't need to. First of all, just stop locking your knees when you're standing and walking. And you should notice that that pain, that ache in your back has reduced significantly. And if it hasn't, then you've got to stretch these thigh muscles because that's one of the things that's pulling everything forward, causing the back to arch and therefore contributing to more pain. I'm assuming my next question is going to have a similar response then. <laughs> yeah. See, the, and this is the, this is why I always sound like a broken record, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> because really everyone keeps asking about these diagnoses when really it's the pattern that's contributing to the structure. That's, that's the problem, not the diagnosis itself. So the next question is rather long. So bear with me, audience. I have a large L5 S1 disc herniation. So that's the low back. Since this time, my lower to mid back above the herniation feels tight and weird if I bend. So I'm guessing they mean flexing forward. Then I had a microdisectomy surgery and no pain, but still a tightness above the herniation area. I have since re-herniated it, and I try not to bend much, but my lower to mid back still feels tight. Any ideas to what may help or what causes it, and what should I do to strengthen it to maintain being pain-free. Okay. So this is very common, especially with back surgeries is yes, it's going to solve that micro discectomy or whatever, but if you don't solve the forces acting on the spine, then you're going to just get the same result, you know, some months or maybe a year or two later after the surgery, because you haven't solved the reasons why that disc was damaged in the first place. So I, again, uh, I, uh, you know, when I hear of tightness in the low back, uh, usually that means that it's tight in an arched position like this. And so this plays into that same diagnosis of an extension problem. Extension just means the back is too arched or there are too many forces trying to pull it into an arch. So uh, what I would say, and so folks, just to orient you, this lowest vertebrae right here is L5. So they had the discectomy where that L5 meets the sacrum here. All right. So what they're saying is everything above there is tight. Well, that's normal because where the sacrum is a relatively immovable area of the body. So the, the spine is a relatively movable area of the spot of the body. So this junction where there's an immovable area against a movable area, that area will always have more motion attributed to it because it is the first guy in the line of attack to get motion to happen in the spine. All the others will then follow suit, but the L5 S1 is that's why it's the most common area of the spine to break down and have problems. It just goes through transitioning from a motion area to a non motion area. And you can also see it's a curve going one way into a curve going the opposite way. So whenever you have transitions of curves, you have mechanical stress. So that means that you have to be even more critical of how you're using your body to protect these changes in curvature in the spine in areas of mechanical stress. All right. 
So let's go back to this gentleman. So I'm going to guess that the tightness that they're experiencing here, these muscles have become very tight. And so what he's telling us is that he's afraid to bend forward and bending forward then causes him to experience that tightness. All right. So my guess is because he's afraid to bend forward and he doesn't like that tightness, he's going to keep his back locked in this arch position as he's bending forward. Well, that's what we're all kind of taught in when we go to a gym or when we go to any ergonomics trainings or anything like that is, oh, never, never allow your back to flex. But that is absolutely incorrect because it's the flexion that's going to help solve a lot of that pain. If, if you're only locked here, right, and you and you bend forward like this, well, what vertebra are you only moving from? If everything is locked, the only vertebra that you can move from is that L5 S1 junction. That's the only thing that you're allowing to move, and that's why it's getting broken down. So what you'll have to generally learn to do is learn how to control the flexion of your spine from all of the vertebrae. Allow them all to bend a little bit, and that will take stress off of the L5-S1 junction. Okay? So to do that, uh, you know, what I, one of the things that I have people do is I have them stand at their dresser, all right, and... Um, I'm going to put that down. And let's say we open up the top drawer of our dresser. You put your hands on the top drawer. And what you do is you allow yourself to slump into this motion here. So we're not, we're not hinging from the hips. We're not doing this. We're rounding like this. All right. And you're holding on here so you can support your trunk. Because if you've never done this before, you don't know how to control your spine. And so for those, for this per person in particular, this should feel really good to allow that to happen, all right? And once they get good at that, then they can close that drawer and open up the next one and learn how to flex their spine a little bit lower and so on down the dresser. And then they walk themselves back up the dresser too until they can learn how to control that. So what you've got to do is learn is gradually teach the spine to flex a little bit at a time at each vertebral level to disperse that force rather than just having all of that force happen at that one junction at the L5-S1. And then the other thing, ultimately, I'm going to bet that this person has tight thigh muscles because the tight thigh muscles are tilting the pelvis forward and locking it into this arch, which means that anytime that person bends and that pelvis is locked forward, it's going to cause the L5-S1 to move even more. So stretching the thigh muscles would also be a big one. But ultimately, you'll have to learn to flex from the all the spine. Now, of course, if you're lifting, you know, 100 pounds and heavy loads, you, you don't want to flex your spine while doing that. But if you're picking a sock up off the floor, you by all means need to learn how to flex your spine to do little jobs like that. And you need to learn how to use your legs to lift that sock instead of using your back. So, uh, you know, I'll go into this again is I'll back up here. When people bend down, and for instance, this gentleman, I can only imagine that when he bends down, he's trying to do this to pick up something and keeping that back lock. Well, he's only perpetuating the, the pattern that's causing the pain. Instead, you need to stagger your stance, put the load on the first leg, and then you can have your hand on your thigh if you want to, and slowly flex your spine and put all your weight on that first leg to bend down to pick something up and use the leg to come back up so then that's using your leg to pick things up instead of your back to pick things up like this. All right. For lighter loads, that's absolutely the correct way to do things. 
so a lot of stuff there. Hopefully that answers his question. The uh, rounding of the spine has become somewhat uh, common exercise in weightlifters recently as like a warm up. It's kind of funny. Oh, really? Yeah, a, a guy that we had on a long time ago called Ben Patrick, who promotes knees over toes, started preaching oh, yeah. that. And then yes. now it's kind of caught on, and a lot of people are doing that. I forgot they yeah. have a name for it, but I can't think of their term for it. But yeah, I don't. I, I've listened to that knees over toes guy, and I, I in general agree with a lot of what he has to say. And this is this is just the thing: is there are a lot of these myths that are floating around out there about how we should do things, but those myths are not rooted in science or clinical observations of how things actually are. So yes. One of the myths is you got to keep your back arched and locked at all times. Well, no, that's that's because those people didn't understand how to use legs or the the benefits of learning how to articulate your spine one vertebra at a time. And that's only, again, for really heavy loads of lifting, not for lighter stuff. So, you know, there there's some finesse going on here. Yeah. Okay, next topic we're going to talk about is osteoporosis. This question is a lot shorter. What are some safe spine strengthening and bone building exercises for an L4 osteoporosis? Yeah, so, uh, you know, this is one of those things where if, if you are, if you have osteoporosis, uh, you should be in contact with your doctor and physical therapist to guide you through the exercises you need. Because uh, there could be specific issues that I'm unaware of regarding your osteoporosis, uh, that have changed, you know, changes to your spine and so forth. So, you know, with that kind of diagnosis, I would say, please consult your physical therapist and, and doctor, uh, because, uh, there are often nuances, like for instance, we don't know the degree of osteoporosis you have. We don't know how long that's happened, whether there's been microfracturing that's occurred with that osteoporotic issue. Um, so, uh, in general, I would say, please, uh, you know, almost disregard anything I have to say in terms of exercises until you talk to your doctor and physical therapy. You should be working closely with them. They, they know exactly what your condition is. However, the, if we go into my general theme of things uh, and solving things as a system. So uh, what you what the whole point of everything that I that I teach is to remove excessive forces from vulnerable areas of the body. In the question before, it was a herniated disc. Another person had stenosis. So we can't change the structural problem that you have, like the stenosis. I can't change that herniated disc, and I can't change that osteoporosis, but I can certainly remove stresses that are causing those things to become painful because a lot of people have those conditions and have no pain at all, especially there are studies that show as we get older, our spine undergoes tons of structural changes, right? But we have no pain at all. And it's because those are normal structural changes that occur. So my answer to this person with the osteoporosis would be remove the stressors acting on that L4, L5 or L5, S1 junction. What are those stressors? Well, again, it goes back to locking the knees. If you lock the knees when you're standing and walking, that's causing the pelvis to tilt forward and it forces the L5-S1 junction to undergo more mechanical strain, all right? Tight thigh muscles, that again, locks the pelvis forward, 
causing uh, the L5-S1 junction and L4-L5 junctions to undergo more strain. Change how you're bending over to pick things up instead of locking your spine. Learn how to articulate your spine one vertebrae at a time and use your legs to help you lift and, and pick up things rather than just hinging at the back and uh, putting all the stress back to the one or two levels of, of spinal vertebra that are you know, absorbing that stress. So you wanna disperse forces. You wanna remove excessive forces like the tight thigh muscles. You wanna learn how to use your legs. For instance, in a, uh, I call it the Neanderthal lunge. When, when we pick up something off the floor, I'm gonna back up way here. Instead of picking something up like this, right? You put one leg forward and you articulate your spine one vertebrae at a time as you come down. You can put a hand on your thigh if you're not, if your legs aren't strong enough, use your arm muscles to help you, to help hold your spine and bend down, articulating. And I can almost guarantee this will feel so much better for your back to lift something up like this rather than locking the spine into this arch position and trying to squat down to pick something up. That only promotes more strain at that L5-S1 junction. So uh, my answer to that question in short, contact your doctor and physical therapist, and then uh, you know, remove those excessive forces from your body that are working on your vulnerable areas of your body. That's a pretty good answer. I should say we do. We did have an osteoporosis expert on uh, who made a whole program for us. So if she really wants, she can look at those. But yeah, there's also a, a guy, uh, Kevin Ellis, who does. Uh, he's called the Bone Coach, and uh, he's developed a whole program for osteoporosis. So that's another area that someone can look into. Sure. Okay, next one is a long question, but I feel like a lot of people have this problem. It's back pain while driving. So this person says, I have done well with back pain and piriformis issues thanks to Bob and Brad's exercises. It does get fired up after I drive, so when I get out of the car, I must stand there for a minute before I can start walking, and sometimes after a few steps, I must go home, lay down, and stretch out. Any advice? This person says they are tall, they drive an SUV, and I've moved the seat around. I've even put a cushion in there, but I don't seem to be able to get it right. Yeah, this is a tough one. So this is the way I generally think about the things is, is your car seat the only seat that's causing your back pain? Do the chairs at your house also cause back pain? Or have you found a particular chair that's better for your back than any other chair? So what you want to do is, really look at that chair that's the best and say, hey, how is this chair different than my car seat? Or how is this chair different than my couch or my easy chair that I sit in? And in general, what the answer would be, the better chair, especially for a tall person, will be a taller chair. Because what, what will happen, what's probably happening when, when they're sitting, because they're a tall person, the knees are likely slightly above the hip joints. And so what that's doing is, is that it's causing the, the thigh muscles to shorten while they're driving, all right? So that when they get out of that drive, those thigh muscles are still short. And as the legs straighten out, that tension that has generated in the thigh muscles is now pulling the pelvis forward excessively. And so what they have to do is they need to stretch out the thighs a little bit to take that tension off the pelvis. That's usually the primary reason why most people are having back pain while driving 
you know, especially after when it comes down to getting out of the car and their, their back hurts to get out of the car, it's because the pelvis is locked forward into this arch position. And so, and, but they're trying to be up tall. So the thing that needs to change is the tightness of the thigh muscles that has occurred. Okay. Cause those bucket seats or whatever, they generally hold the, the knees a little bit higher than the pelvis. Uh, so my first recommendation would be again, pick, you know, find that favorite chair of yours at home and see how that chair is different than your car seat. I, I, I would almost venture to guess it's because the car seat, the knees are higher. All right. And this is another, another thing that I find when I'm driving in general, when I drive, my back starts to arch in and of itself just because of the stress of driving. And so this is part of a larger uh, reflex pattern that we're all hardwired with is that uh, when we become stressed or alert, our, we tend to want to you know, be up taller and the back naturally arches and these back muscles contract to help us be up taller to look for danger. Well, driving in general, especially if you drive in a busy area or you're always late or you're always trying to be in a hurry, what that does is naturally your back muscles will arch right off the bat. And so then you get out of the car and they're still arched and they have to release in order for you to stand up tall. So another thing that you might want to try is first notice whether this is happening. When you stop at stoplights, notice whether your back is arched and, hey, can I relax my back a little bit? Oh, yeah, I can. Oh, yeah, that feels better. All right. So you might want to make it a habit that every stoplight that you stop at or every stop sign that you check in on your back to start relaxing it before you get out of the car so it's not locked in this arched position. This is the most common pattern causing most back pain is this arched position. So I hope that helps. I was going to say maybe they should put a cushion to sit on to be higher, but then they're probably going to hit their head if they're tall. <laughs> yeah, they I already said more. they were tall. I was thinking the same thing, Mike, because but if they've already tried, it sounds like they've already tried a cushion underneath. Didn't he say that in the. I'm guessing he's trying to cushion behind his back. They didn't really. Oh, qualify. OK. I, I thought he was sitting. But I'm thinking if they're if they're a short person, they could try that. But right. Yeah. Tall person, that might be hard. Right. And then uh, depending on how adjustable your seat is. Uh, you know, you could try tilting the seat, the, the, the seat seat tilted down to bring the knees down so that they're not above the hip joint. But I, I don't know. That's that's a little awkward. I, I would just check and see, you know, do that thing where you're comparing it to a chair in the house, your favorite chair that feels good for your back and, and trying to make the car more like that chair. And then also notice whether you're a stressful driver. And you're just naturally arching the back just because of the stress of driving. That can also be a pattern that's contributing to this. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, the next question. My lower back tightens and hurts even when I stand for a short time. What's likely to be the cause and what can I do to alleviate it? Yeah, so this kind of goes in with all of our other back things. So what it sounds like they're saying to me, and correct me if you think I'm wrong here, Mike, is that they're saying it hurts when they stand, which yeah. means that it probably doesn't hurt when they're sitting. Right. That's what I'm assuming. Yeah. So uh, it's the act of going up and standing that's causing the back to hurt. All right. And maybe that back pain is relieved after they've been moving around a little bit. So my guess is that when they stand, and this is what way a lot of people stand, is that their feet are parallel like this from sitting in the chair. And, and, you know, they're getting up out of the chair and see if I can bend this. 
And what they do is they stand up with their legs and then they arch their back like this to come up. So their legs straighten first and then the back straightens. And it's that back straightening like this, where it's that excessive arching of the back that's causing probably that momentary back pain. So what I would say is when you get up out of a chair, first, uh, you know, slump your back a little bit and maybe stagger your feet just a little bit. So you're biasing one leg to work harder than the other. And then when you get up, instead of, you know, straightening the legs and then straightening your back, keep the back slumped as you're pushing up through your legs. And then only when your legs are straight, do you on, do you start articulating your spine from this arch and you flex one vertebrae at a time to come up instead of arching the whole spine to come up. If you articulate the vertebrae one to one vertebrae at a time to come up, then what that's going to do is, again, it's going to disperse, disperse all the force that's occurring at the junction between an, an immovable area and a movable area. And it's going to disperse it among all of these movable areas instead of just that one. So that would be my recommendation. And then, of course, um, I go back to my trusty old stretch your thigh muscles, because uh, if they're tilting the pelvis forward and locking the pelvis in that forward position, your back is fighting against that pelvis that's locked forward because of the thigh muscle tightness. And so it's undergoing more arching stress than it really needs to go through. Yeah. I'm, I don't know why I'm picturing this person using a walker, but they didn't say they did. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. Yeah. So uh, if you have a walker, typically if you watch an older person stand up, they have their walker here and they straighten their legs first and then they try to come up like this. And that's, that's exactly the pattern that's causing the pain. What they need to do is keep their spine rounded as they're straightening the legs and then come up at the very end. And that should feel a lot better. Sure. All right. Where's my next question? So the next one, this person says, I have a grade one anteriolisthesis. That's a mouthful. And a disc protrusion, both L4 and L5. Do you recommend flexing or extension-based exercises? They said both alleviate pain. I'm just fearful of exacerbating my injuries. Yeah, I, 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 again, this is a very specific question, and it's more of a medical question. They should be working closely with their doctor and physical therapist on, on the answer to this for them in particular. However, my general answer is I'm going to guess that flexion should feel better for them than extension. And so I would, you know, and this is the thing in physical therapy, you know, we give flexion based exercises, but then we don't teach how to use the body in a flexion way. For instance, what I was just describing of, you know, if you're standing up from a, a chair, you know, don't stand up, straighten the legs and then arch the back because that's all extension. So if you find that flexion is helpful for you, Keep the spine in as much flexion as possible as you're standing up to remove that extension stress. All right. Another thing is if we stand with our feet in parallel, like, you know, feet like this, that automatically locks the body into using this extension pattern to stand up. If you stagger this feet and put one in front of the other and load the front leg more than the back leg, that will force your, that teaches your legs how to help you lift rather than using your back to help you lift. So that would be my general recommendation is to first consult your doctor and physical therapist because they're more intimately uh, familiar with what 
what's going on with your back and how you should be responding. But from a general standpoint, I believe flexion would be better for you. And not so much just flexion exercises, because those don't really carry over into life. What you want to do is start conducting your life in a more of a flexion way to bring your spine into more flexion to help you alleviate that strain that's working on those two structural issues. Last question on back pain. So what is a good exercise to increase range of motion in the lower back when you feel stiff or limited doing even the cat and camel? Yeah. So, uh, well, okay. So there, there could be many reasons why your back is, is feeling locked into this position. And, uh, there, one of the reasons could be a neurological tension that's going on in your body. A neurological issue uh, tension is really based on our, our brain and our, how our brain is responding to our environment. So if, if you're prone to anxiety, stress, or you have emotional trauma in your, in your life or things like that, it tends to cause our brain to be on this constant alert uh, pattern, in which case our spine is locked into this arched position. In which case, a cat and camel exercise isn't going to really unlock that because your whole body is locked, not just your lower back area. So I've developed these somatic audio lessons that help you unlock this neurological tension in the patterns that are most typically contributing to pain in the body. So uh, there are eight lessons. They're actually free. You just pay for the shipping. Uh, but... Uh, you basically, there are eight lessons, each are about a half hour long. And what they're doing is teaching you how to identify and release this neurological tension that may be locking your whole body into a pattern, but you're only feeling it in your back. That's probably what I, it sounds like this person might need it. If they're that tight and a cat and camel can't, or cat and cow can't uh, stretch it out or alleviate that, it could be more of this holding pattern that they've got running through their whole body. Is it a CD or what, what do you send? Uh, I send a USB stick. CDs oh. are, C, CDs are outdated now. Well, so. I, was trying, I was trying to think of what do you ship? I'm like, what yeah. are you shipping? Yeah. Oh, it's okay. a USB device. So, uh, and then you can, but you also get uh, instant digital access to the lessons too. Oh. But I found a lot of people like the USB devices to have, so they can carry it around with them wherever they go. So, gotcha. um, so yeah. And so, uh, I mean, Mike, you, you've studied fascia, right? And are you familiar with Thomas Myers Anatomy Trains book? Are, have you I, looked I at that I don't know him. I'm oh. not super versed in fat. We had a, Bob did an interview with the fascia guy. I can't, he's German. I can't think of his name. But. Robert Schlieb? Yeah, that's him. Yeah, he's a, wow, he's a genius. So, yeah. So, same, along those same lines. So, uh, fascia is connective tissue in the body, all right? And there are super highways of fascia that run through a body. And of course, uh, that includes the muscles, tendons, bone, uh, nerves, you know, all that kind of stuff. So uh, fascia, so for instance, one line of fascia connects the top of the head all the way down the back, all the way down both legs to the bottom of the feet. All right. There's another line of fascia that starts at the top of the head and goes all the way through the rib cage and waist area all the way down to the feet as well. And that's, so these super highways of fascia, um, fascia is, in my opinion, particularly responsive to neurological tension in our, in our mental state. And so what could be happening is that this whole person's line of fascia is activated 
and which is, and they're feeling it at their back because that's their most vulnerable area of their body. So the somatics lessons that I'm talking about that I recommend release the entire line of fascia. So, cause they're about releasing a pattern of contraction throughout the whole body rather than just one specific area. Well, that specific area may be responding to stuff above and below. And that's why you can't unlock it because you haven't addressed the above and below stuff. And that's, that's why I believe these somatic lessons help a lot of people with chronic pain. Does each lesson deal with a different body part or? Yeah. A, a different pattern of okay. fascial potential fascial contraction. So they're not designed just with this fascia in mind. For instance, uh, there's, there's one for the back. There's one for the waist. There's one that addresses rotation. There's one mostly for the hips and pelvis. There's another one for uh, the neck and upper body system. There's a breathing one. There's a walking one. So they go through all sorts of different patterns of, of how we use our bodies. Oh, that sounds fascinating. They're, they're pretty cool. They're, they're very powerful for people with chronic pain, uh, who, especially those people who, and frankly, there are a lot of these people who are afraid to start something new. Um, these somatic lessons are very gentle and feel wonderful. They're such like a really gentle, I hate to even call it a yoga session because there's nothing like it, but that's the closest thing I can, that people might identify with. Yeah. I, I feel like it help someone with anxiety, but maybe that's oh, yeah. what I'm thinking. Well, anxiety, but also if, if you've been dealing with chronic pain for a while, you're, you tend to not move as much and you tend not to move as much according to certain patterns in your body. And so certain areas of your body are moving excessively and other areas of your body aren't moving enough. And so what you need is something that's going to address both of those problems. And that's what these somatic audio lessons do. All right. Well, thank you for joining us again. Where can people find more information about you at? Uh, they, if they go to rickolderman.com, uh, I have lots of free stuff there. I have some uh, blogs. I have all my home programs, my practitioner training program. And you, there's a contact form there, of course, for me uh, that you can use to, con to reach out if you like. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me.